welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, podcast ministry of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. This past Sunday, we had our annual Christmas program during our Sunday morning service. Therefore, we are bringing a second message to you from John Wiebe, President and CEO of the MB Foundation. John was a guest speaker at our church a few weeks ago. You can listen to the message he gave in our worship service by going back to the podcast published on November 24th called Experiencing Real Life. John also delivered a message that morning to all of our adult Bible classes. That message is the one you will be hearing shortly. John is talking about the power of money. Now I'm going to do what you hate that every speaker does, and that is ask you to come closer. So those of you that are willing to move, we'll see who's willing this morning, come come in here where I can see you and we can relate a little bit better. Thank you, Roy, front and center. He's leading by example. Love it. I won't call any of you out, but uh, I sure appreciate it. I think we'll have better interaction as we're a little closer together. Maybe you're wanting to stay at arm's length because we're talking about money today. I don't know. You don't, don't want to get too close. Let me see how fat the wallet is, anything like that. Um, yeah, my name is John Wiebe. I'm president of MB Foundation, and it's a delight to be here with you. If I were feeling better, it'd be even more of a delight, but, uh, but I'm, I'm glad that uh, we have this opportunity uh, just to, to minister together and to learn Uh, what the Bible says a little bit more about money and to learn to know each other in the process. Um, We're going to talk about the power of money this morning. Have you thought about before the the power, the strength that money has? Does that feel a little personal? I'm giving you time here to just soak on that a little bit. To think about the power that money has in our lives. We're going to deal with money. There's just no question about it, right? Money pervades our entire life. Um, from the, the moment we woke up this morning and the furnace had kicked on, you know, earlier and warmed up the house, we were spending money. We turn on the hot shower and we get out the, you know, whatever bath aids we have. I mean, we're just spending money from the get-go every day. I went out and had breakfast this morning and spent some money. I'm going to drive home. It's going to cost money. Good things cost money. Bad things cost money. Money is the currency that allows us just to, to transact in life. And so it's not money itself, in my opinion, that's, that's got a problem. It's how we let it have control or power over us. There's, there's a, a competition going on. And Jesus talked about that competition in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, where he said, no one can serve Two masters. And then he just, you know, flippantly, well, what shall I compare this to? No one can serve God and, you know, he just out of the air pulled out money for his illustration. No, I don't believe that. I think that, that he purposefully declared you cannot serve both God and money. It's the only illustration that Jesus ever gave or God ever gave where he said, you can't serve me, and you can't serve something else. He didn't like do that over and over again and pick out other 
items. You can't serve me and your family. You can't serve me and your career. You can't serve me and, and you know, Satan. No one wakes up in the morning and says, I'm not going to serve God. I mean, at least none of us. But yet daily we make decisions, perhaps, that indicate where our heart is. Said so no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Pretty strong statements. You cannot serve both God and money. How are we doing? Hanging in there? This is hard stuff. And it wasn't, uh, you know, when he says you can't serve both God and money, it's not a matter of, you know, you, you, like, like a mom might say to a child, you can't have a cookie. Okay, but the child knows that if mom leaves the room and he's sneaky enough, he can have a cookie. Okay, it's, it's not that kind of you cannot serve both God and money. It's actually the, the type where, and I'm not an English scholar here, so correct me if, if you think I'm wrong, but you, the, the language that's being used is it's impossible to serve both God and money. Okay? Not God just saying, please don't have a cookie. I don't want you to have a cookie. He's saying it's impossible to have that cookie and serve me as well. So we're going to talk about the power of money. Why does it pull at us? Why does it tug at us? Why, why do we have this temptation daily to serve money instead of serving God? There's a, a story I like to tell about the um, gentleman who drove a truck down into Chicago, and he was all decked out in, in fine boots and jeans and you know, big leather belt and a cowboy hat, and he went up to the 30th floor of this business building where a large national ministry was headquartered. And he walked up to the receptionist and he said, I want to see the top hog. And she said, now, sir, you know, our president is very busy. I'll be glad to see if I can work you into his schedule, but, you know, please have a seat over here and we'll see what we can do. And so he sat down and he rummaged through the magazines and he, you know, got a little anxious. And after a little bit of time, he'd had kind of enough. And so he went back up to the counter and he said, I want to see the top hog. And she said, well, sir, you got to understand this. Our president's very busy. He's got many appointments every day. You can't just come in and expect to be able to, to see him, you know, on a moment's notice. And so we're, we're trying to figure out if we can work him into your, your, you into his schedule. And, and so please be patient. And so, okay, he, he went and he sat back down. And he's, you know, you know the drill. He's drumming his fingers on the chair rail. And he's walking back and forth, and he's just getting more agitated and nervous, and finally he walks up to the counter, and, I want to see the top hog, and, and she said, now sir, you, you just shouldn't be talking about our president that way, that's just kind of disrespectful, and, and she sa he said, you, you got to understand, I drove all the way from South Dakota with a truckload of pigs that I want to donate to your ministry, and she said, well, I think I see the little porker coming down the hallway right now. The power of money. The power of money. We can't get our way, but if we're going to be a, a large donor, maybe we can. Maybe we, we're perceived as disrespectful, but, you know, money heals all wounds. 
So, let's talk about the, the, this power of money with a little bit of a quiz, and I, I sometimes do a Q&A, but as I told the group last night, I'm not hearing very well, so I'm not going to do that. Uh, so this will be a little bit rhetorical, but you can think about uh, what was the first murder in the Bible about? First murder in the Bible. Who was the first murderer? Cain, right? And Cain killed Abel about? The offering. One offering was received, one offering was rejected. It was about money and how it was being presented as an act of worship. The first sin of Israel after entering the promised land. Do you recall what that was about? The first sin of Israel after entering the promised land. Uh, God had said, leave it all for me. Jericho is going to be an offering to me, a first fruits gift. Trust me, there's going to be many more cities up ahead. The bounties, the spoil, the land flowing with milk and honey. There will be more coming. Trust me. Leave this one for me. And Achan didn't trust. Achan went and got some of the spoils for himself, dug a hole in the ground, and his family paid the price. First sin was about money. Of course, the only apostle to fall away from the faith We all know what that one was about, right? Power, greed, 30 pieces of silver, Judas. First sin of the early church that's recorded in Scripture. What comes to mind? The first sin of the early church, Ananias and Sapphira. Okay? They gave their land, excuse me, they sold their land, And they gave a portion to the church. Was that wrong to give a portion? Absolutely not. What was tugging at them that caused them to say we're giving it all when they were only giving a portion? I think it was the power of money, the power of influence, the power of of prestige, all the things that money can afford. And so they wanted to keep some back when they were dishonest. But it was, it was this power of money, the, this power that money has over us that caused them, they could have done something tremendous. And the, we remember Ananias and Sapphira as the, the first major donors. Instead, they were judged for what they did. And then uh, we have, <clears throat> I jump into Revelation. What is the mark of the beast all about? Revelation. It's a transactional mark, is it not? And the Christians that choose not to receive the mark of the beast will be prevented from transacting business, from feeding their families, from making a profit. It's going to come down, even in the end times, to money. Rick Joyner, in in a journal called the Morning Star Journal said this regarding the mark of the beast. He said, one reason why the mark of the beast is an economic mark is because money does reveal some of the ultimate issues of the human heart. At the end of the age, we will either be freed from money or enslaved to it. I think it's really important for us just to name this for what it is. This temptation, this lure. Um, You know, and I use the word money um, it, can, it can be anything that, uh, that draws you. 
might, might be a, a different word that's better for you. It might be stuff, materialism. It might be entertainment. It might be, you know, options. It might be a house. I mean, money is just the best word I can come up with to, to just kind of boil it down, right? Because that's what it takes in order to do those things or to have that stuff. Um, and just, just recognizing the power of money in our lives can be the first step to, to healing and to growth. Um, I've, I've recognized the power of money often in my life, and uh, I can tell you one story that just stood out to me as just a little tiny incident, but being willing to, to actually, em- I was going to say embrace, but we're not embracing the power of money, but em- embracing the reality that this can have a stranglehold on me, and I need to push back. If I want to be a child of God who's serving one master, one Lord, Jesus Christ, and not money, then I need to recognize this stuff so that I can pray about it and confess it and grow and learn and maybe be held accountable and discipled in this area. And so maybe there's something there that that is for you as well. I'll I'll never forget the time early on in my ministry with the foundation. I've been there 18 years now. And so um, in the first few years, uh, we moved to Hillsborough when when my boys were two and four, and now they're uh, 19 and 21. So some time has passed, right? And, uh, and so they were at home, uh, they were playing, some friends were over, and I had just been working that morning at the office on a message or on some, some Bible studies, some work for an upcoming presentation like this. And uh, God must have known that I needed an illustration, right? <laughs> so here we go. Um, I'm driving home, and uh, I, I could see our house from, you know, a block or so away, and the kids were out playing in the yard. And as I got closer, I saw that one boy was trying to get a bicycle out of the garage. And we still had, we had a car parked in the garage. The garage door was open. And he's trying to pull a bicycle out, and the bicycle uh, didn't have the rubber handle, uh, rubber coating protective part on the bicycle handlebars anymore okay you know where I'm going with this and so he's struggling to get this bike out that's bigger than him right and and I could just see him scraping up and down the side of my car okay not the one I'm driving the one that's still sitting there and so I'm speeding up trying to get to the house quickly so that I can stop him from ruining my car and then I'm pulling into the driveway wildly I mean no, no kidding I was just like fuming the emotions had risen and I was pulling in and I'm worried about hitting kids but I'm also worrying about you know telling this kid what's up and and I pulled in and I got out of the car and I was just ready to lay into that kid and then it hit me what is going on what is inside me that just makes me my blood boil my car had you know four or five three foot scratches on it but what was important at that moment that child or my car was it the power of money that was uh, had a hold of my heart at that point or was it my lord and, you know, I'm not going to tell you what I said to the child. I'm not necessarily that proud of it. I've forgotten what I said, but I know that I, I laid into him pretty good. But at the same time, I was wrestling with this issue. And it's not that that child didn't need to learn discipline, responsibility, um, appropriate use of resources, okay? I'm not saying that, that we just wreck our stuff or let our children wreck our stuff because it doesn't matter. It's just stuff. That's not the point. The point is, did I care about my car or did I care about this child? 
And I lost the battle that day. I cared about the car. The power of money, it just, it, it, it rises up inside of us. It, it grabs hold of us. We hear about the sales that are going on. We hear about the lottery, and we, we, we begin to daydream about what we could do. We, we find out about someone who's successful at work and you know, hit the big bonanza, and we wonder what, what life would be like for us if that happened for us. And we're always looking up to the Joneses, and I'm sorry, there are some Joneses here, in the, but you know I mean that generically, right? And so <laughs> we look up at, at the other guy, the other gal, and we think, ah, they've got it made. We've, we lack contentment, this power of money that, that just is pervasive in our society, and we have to push back. In the name of Jesus, we have to push back. Let me give you five examples, five scriptures that really support and drive home the reality that the, I'm sorry, I have to drink a lot or I'm losing my, my voice. that help us understand the power of money. Jesus understood this, and so he talked about it often. It wasn't just Matthew 6, 24, um, although that was, that was a biggie, and I already quoted that. No one could serve two masters. So money is powerful. It's, it, it's going to vie for a competitor with our hearts. And this term that, that Jesus used there, you can't serve God and mammon, it was actually a, a term that wasn't just some lifeless money, but actually a deity that had expression and, and life and force and, and power and control. It, it, had, it was more than just uh, some cold you know, piece of cash sitting on the table. He knew that money had, had there was something unique about it. It's a rival God. And Jesus called it out and he said, you can't serve that and me. A few verses earlier, Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What a great verse. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Think about the power of money that's illustrated for us in that passage. I've, I've had some people say to me, you know, I just wish I had a heart for missions. You ever heard something like that? You know, I, I wish I did. And my response will be, so you don't want to say this to me today out in the hallway later, um, have you tried giving to missions? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The power of money, you start throwing money at a mission organization or a team of missionaries, and your mind's going to be going there periodically. You're going to be praying for them. You're going to be thinking about them. I wonder how it's going in that, that country. I wonder what's going, happening. Because you're invested and likewise, the power of money that's illustrated there, uh, you know, you, you buy a stock. Anybody ever go to a broker and, you know, what should I buy? And, and you know, they're recommending now more, a lot more mutual funds than individual companies. But if you've ever been talked into buying a stock for a specific company, what happens the very next day? If you're especially now at the Internet, you know, age, I mean, you're probably going to Google it now and then and wonder what's going on with that company. I never cared before about, you know, semiconductors, but now I'm interested. Now I'm checking it out. Now I'm reading up a little bit on the technology, and I'm, I'm curious about market share and what's happening. And it's because where our treasure is, that our heart will go also. Have you ever 
bought something, a special toy, a boat, a motorcycle, a, a dress, a, something that, that's special to you, and then all of a sudden where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It, it, it's just it's so alluring. It just it captivates us. So often our possessions begin to possess us because where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. So that one can, it shows us the power of money, and, and money can be powerful for good, or it can be powerful for bad. We've had illustrations here of both. Matthew 13, the parable of the sower. You know, the sower's going out and he's spreading seed, and, and uh, it's an illustration of, of the gospel that's being planted and, and distributed liberally because we want everybody to come to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And so we're just throwing that seed out there and hoping that it will take hold. In verse 22, it says that some of the seed, this is what happened, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. The worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. So what we've got a picture here of is it's, it's sprung up. The gospel took root and the plant sprung up and was producing and then the deceitfulness of wealth choked out that plant, that gospel in our lives, and made us unfruitful. We're still Christians. There's still a plant, but we're not bearing fruit because of the deceitfulness of wealth. Come to grips with that. This can happen to us. We're Christians. We're still growing. We're still a plant. The seed has taken root, but the deceitfulness of wealth can cause us to be unfruitful. And 1 Timothy 6.10 says, Some people, eager for money, have wandered away from the faith. If you haven't picked up on it here, now we've got a little bit of a progression going. At first, I said we could just be unfruitful in our Christian life because of the deceitfulness of wealth. Now it says that actually some people who are eager for money wander away from the faith. It doesn't say some people who have money just therefore can't have faith. It's not about how much, it's not about how little, it's about an attitude, it's about where our hearts are. And it's, I don't understand it, I, I like to, to live my life as, as you know, the security of salvation. But this verse says that some people, eager for money, have, have wandered away from the faith. And it wasn't just a, a conscious decision one morning, right? I'm leaving the faith. That's not what the word says. Some people eager for money left the faith. You know, I mean, that could maybe happen as well, but instead they, they just wander away. They lose their path. They lose their moorings. They, they, they lose their way because they're chasing a different master. They're chasing stuff and the power of money instead of the things of God. The last one I'd give you, I could do many more. Uh, Matthew 19 is the story of the rich young man. You know the, the story well. He came to Jesus and he, he asked about this thing, salvation. He didn't understand it. What must I do to be saved? And, and uh, Jesus responded that he should give everything away. And, you know, that was a word for him. It's not necessarily a word for all of us. Um, says that he walked away downcast, uh, sullen. He couldn't quite come to grips at that point with the power of money in his life. 
And Jesus said to his disciples as the man walked away, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. He didn't say it's impossible, but he said it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. So you go back and you look at these five scriptures, and it paints a pretty negative picture for us. And it's why we need to be on our guard, and we need to recognize the power of money, and we need to push back as the people of God against the evil power of money in our lives. Let me summarize it again. We can't serve two masters. We've got to make a choice. We serve Jesus or we serve stuff. We serve Jesus or we serve things of this world, first and foremost of which is money and all that it affords. Second, where our treasure is, our heart will be also. Money has a power to capture our hearts. That's why it also can be master and lord over us. Third, it makes us unfruitful. Heaven forbid, God forbid, that money, the worries of this life, and the deceitfulness of wealth would cause us to be unfruitful in our Christian life. We choose the right master. We, we keep our heart from strain, but yet somehow it, it causes unfruitfulness in our lives. And then third, it can actually cause us to wander away from our faith. could think of nothing worse. And then fifth, it can prevent us even from entering the kingdom of God. That's a key challenge you have in this community of reaching out to the lost is that they're pulled by the riches of this world. They're pulled by a different master. And one of them is choices, things, entertainment, success, everything the money affords. And that's a competition as you share the gospel with them because it's hard to enter the kingdom of heaven when we're rich. And we'll learn later this morning who the rich are. So I'm just giving you a heads up on that one. <clears throat> any comments? Uh, the group will hear you. I won't. Uh, any questions? I'll try to hear you. I hope it comes across, even though it may be something you haven't heard quite in this way, I don't know, um, that, that it can be encouraging to you. That, that we just need to muster our armies and, and push back that we need to fight the principalities and powers of darkness, which includes money, and take the high ground for Jesus' sake. That's what this is about. This isn't about beating us up over the head and saying you should sell everything. Um, I've got stuff. I enjoy things. Okay? I take vacations. My kids are going, going to private college, Tabor College. I mean, we're doing things. It's, that's not what it's about. It's about a heart attitude and perspective, and I don't have it all figured out, but, but I want to be on the journey with you. Will you be on the journey with me? Can we together covenant to say we're going to serve one master? We're not going to let wealth turn our hearts away from God. We're not going to, we want to be fruitful, so we need to pay attention to this and not let the deceitfulness of, of the world and the worries of this life choke out the fruit, etc. What are you thinking? You have something to share with the group? Yeah.
Yeah, yeah. Um, so the question was, uh, they were reflecting, did everybody hear it or should I repeat it? Um, they're reflecting in their group about how we, we've grown up differently and certainly there's a, there was a generation um, that, that grew up in, in need and with a lack of things and that shaped them a certain way versus uh, a generation which generally has so much uh, that they just take for granted. A great question. Um, I encourage people, in some settings we've done this, uh, do a money autobiography. Write out your life from the perspective of money. Just some key things that have shaped you and molded you. Um, it can be really enlightening. So if you're into journaling or diarying or something like that, you might find that interesting and neat exercise. When was the first time you, you thought about money? What were the messages coming to you from your parents about money? Um, some of them have shaped us for good like you know, frugality and understanding the, 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 the power of the, the dollar. I mean, how the, the um, um, I'm struggling for the right word there, but um, the, 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 the need for it and, and the, the, the lack of money, um, you know, obviously causes us to, to maybe be savers and, and that kind of thing and that, that greatest generation kind of time period. Um, but some of those things also... Um, maybe um, created some, some improper attitudes towards money. So you might think about that as well, even among the older generation, um, like a scarcity mentality. I'll never have enough. Well, maybe you've got enough now. I don't know. I'm not talking to anyone specifically, but, you know, the, the, these kinds of things can, can shape us and mold us as well. I, I grew up thinking that, that we were poor, and I found out later we weren't poor. So that, you know, shaped me and has been something I've had to kind of come to grips with. Why, why was that going on and why did my parents give that indication to me? Uh, not that we were rich, but, you know, we were average. We were, uh, you know. Um, so some of those things, even with the older generation, uh, can be positive and some of them, I think, are, are uh, creating some negative uh, influence on, on us. Um, yeah, certainly our younger generation has so much. I meet many of them, though, that are extremely generous, sometimes generous to a fault. Like, they just think it's, they'll get more. And, you know, it's easy come, easy go. So there, I have one son that, that is just extremely generous, and, and I sometimes, and when he was a kid, I had to say, you know, you don't really need to give that much. And then I'm like, what did I just say? <laughs> that was ridiculous. But, you know, it's like I got this tension around, no, save a little bit more. You know, watch out for a rainy day. Take care of yourself. And, and yet he was being very generous. And so um, I had to pause there and, and kind of rethink uh, what I was teaching my children. So um, it's, it can go both ways, I guess, is my response. Um, there's certainly the younger generation has some things that it's battling against in this area of the power of money, and I also think our older generation. Um, while it, it, a lot of life shaped them and molded them into great characteristics that they um, display, there's also some negatives um, that I see and have observed as I work with that, that generation. Other thoughts? I'll try not to be so long-winded on the next one. Great. Yeah, Chip Ingram's book, The Genius of Generosity, there's 
I know a few copies floating around the church that people have had. It's a book that we've um, recommended for the last number of years. We can still get you copies of it. We, our inventory is running low, but you can also just get it on Amazon or whatever. Great little book by, by Chip Ingram about why it's really smart to be generous. Uh, and I'll, I'll mention it a little bit as well in my message that the number one antidote, in my opinion, to the power of money so you want the you want the cure you you know we're worried about Ebola we want the we want the cure it's generosity because it just flips things around uh, they've done study after study about what do people think they need in order to to be okay financially and it's amazing how often what what people think they need is about ten percent more than what they have and is it ironic is it coincidence that God flips that around and says, no, you don't need more, you need less. Maybe you should give it away. And it's the mindset that it creates and it opens up a door for, for God to be at work in your life in a new and fresh way. Uh, so that's just one perspective, but the, the, the whole book is just talking about why it's smart to be generous. It really does help you combat this, this power of money in our lives. If you want to do a little bit more uh, research on this or some reading, I'd encourage you to look at, at two parables. Uh, one would be the parable of the talents, Matthew 25. The other one would be the parable of the rich fool, uh, Luke 12. And just what a stark contrast between uh, Jesus saying, well done, good and faithful servant, key word there, faithful, and you're a fool, you're foolish the way you chose to live your life, using your resources for yourself, having bigger barns, storing it up, becoming lazy, and uh, thinking that it's all about you. Okay, so faithful versus foolish, a tremendous contrast that I would leave you with. Let's close in prayer. It's a quarter to ten. I want to make sure you have time in between, and, uh, and certainly hope I didn't scare you off, invite you to come back for the service later. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.